following the steps that they told me to keep my battery from um, not draining so I'm killing the Wi-Fi and all that good stuff so yeah anyway so um, we're talking about Christmas we've talked about um, Jesus and uh, who he is the last couple weeks but I was uh, you guys ever heard of Charles Wesley a lot of you guys have if you haven't heard of the Wesleyan Church, that's the guy who started the Wesleyan Church. Kind of makes sense there. Um, this gentleman, uh, born in the 1700s, um, he wrote 6,500 hymns after his conversion. 6,500. 6,500. We're not talking 65. Like, you know, we might be, one, one of us might be able to write a couple songs. This guy wrote 6,500 hymns. So, there's a couple hymns that we, we probably all know, but um, some of you may know this. It's, call, it's called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And it's not a more common hymn that we would sing of his, but it is a very uh, popular song. Um, and I was reading this the last couple of weeks, and, and I'm going to read you this to you. It says, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let, your, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Thine own eternal spirit rule in all our hearts. By thine own own sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. And the, the few lines that really stuck out to me were this, was, let us find rest in thee, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation. And that is, that is Jesus. That is our Father. He is the desire of every nation. He is trying and pushing for us to spread the gospel, for us to spread the gospel that none should perish. When, when someone dies without receiving Christ, do you think God does not weep? Do you think that God does not have sorrow for that? That, he, that someone decided they didn't want to follow him and then they perish? He is the desire of every person, every nation, every leader, every person in this world, every person that was born before him and after him. He is the desire of them. He wants their heart. And I look at we look at the, the songs we've sang and we look at all the, the different Christmas songs and hymns and, that we talk about. And what does it always talk about? It talks about that he is coming and that there is hope. And then when he does come, there is hope. I think there's, there's something about Christmas and there's something about Easter and there's something about the hymns that we sing and the Christmas carols that we sing, that what are they? they they're, they're designed to bring us hope. You know, we don't, we don't sing a song to make us feel bad. I really love that song. When I sing that, it just makes me so depressed. It's just the best song ever. No, we don't, we don't sing that, do you? I mean, why would we sing a song like that, you know? You know, but you listen to some of the, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I know, it's, it's crazy. But, but you listen to some of the, the, the songs that we hear today, and we sing them with a popular, with a, an upbeat, and, and it's fun. And then you really look at it, and you're like, Man, that's really, really depressing. 
That is really depressing. I've heard some Christian songs. I'm like, I am depressed after singing this song because I really don't have hope. And I think that when we talk about Jesus and when we sing about God and we sing about his son and we sing about what he's done for us, it should inspire hope in us. It should bring, it should, something should rise up in us that, you know, can you sing Come Emmanuel without having hope? No, you can't because you know what it means. You know that there is a Savior that is coming. Think about the people of Israel. There's an old song by Rich Mullins, and it was probably from the early 90s, and it was called My Deliverer is Coming. It's a very, not a lot of people know it, but it talks about how the people used to sing for their Savior that was coming. It says, my deliverer is coming, my deliverer is standing by. That reigns true with us today after he went to the cross. He is here. He is coming. He is standing by. He is waiting to come for us. But think about this. 500 years without having Christ, or without God speaking to you. I can't imagine the sorrow and the, the lack of hope that there was. The rules that they had to live by, the regulations, and if they didn't do this, they had to do this, and if they did this, they had to sacrifice this. There was no hope. It was just, I live and I sacrifice. I live and I sacrifice. But then something happened. God spoke. And he said, I'm sending my son. And the Holy Spirit and the angels, they come to Mary, and they're like, you are having a son. You are carrying the long-expected Jesus. You are carrying the long-expected Savior of the world. Matthew 1, verses 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a man, excuse me, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what she has conceived is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the Lord, what the Lord had spoken from the prophets. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the, from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. You know, I was, I was thinking about this, is that God on high, who is far above everything else, made himself low. He, he crawled on the dirt of earth to become with, to be one with us, to make us, to make us become part of him. He became equal to us. He became a man who was, had pain and had suffering. He became low so he could bring us up with him. And then we talk about Luke. During those days, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken throughout the emperor, empire. Excuse me. Everyone had to travel to his or her own, own town to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and his fiancée, Mary, left Nazareth. 
in a village of Galilee and journeyed to their hometown of Ju in Judea to the village of Bethlehem. King David's ancient home, they were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor. And there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough, since there was no available space any, in any upper room in the village. So we talk about a manger. We talk about the, the, the stable that they were in. Um, scholars and ancient writings from 100 years to 200 years after Christ acknowledge that the place that he was born was actually a cave cut out of, out of stone and not some stick-built Thing, it, but it was a cave where they would put their hay and put their sheep at night and, and their livestock at night. And it wasn't some, you know, we, we think of when we put the manger scene out, it's got the, the little roof and it's got the, it's got the little loft there where, you know, we used to take the manger scene when we were kids and play G.I. Joe's in it. It was one of those bigger manger scenes. We used to play G.I. Joe's in it and my mom never liked it, but we did it anyway. Um, we used to play with our G.I. Joes in it and set them up or set little army men in it and stuff like that. You know, we'd have like Jesus in the middle and all the army men out there protecting them and stuff like that. But um, it wasn't. It was just a cave. It was a hole in the side of the rock that Jesus was born in. But what, what, what they want you to know is this, is they require, when it talks about Mary, it says she gave birth to her firstborn son. What was the firstborn supposed to be? in the Old Testament, was sacrifice. The first, the, the unspotted lamb, the firstborn, was always a sacrifice. You know, I was watching this, uh, this um, nativity video, and it talked, about, and it showed the shepherds, and they had come into town, and, and they were um, supposed to give a, a sacrifice, and they didn't have what they, they gave a lamb, but they couldn't find one that was unspotted in their in their group, and the priest shoves them, uh, pushes them out, and says, no, you can't until you bring an unspotted lamb. And so the, the, they, they go back, and they're sitting in their fields, and the angels come to them. And the angel says, you know what? Behold, there is a child, and he is born in the city of David. And so they come into Bethlehem, and I'm going to read this to you. That night in the field near Bethlehem, there were shepherds watching over their flock. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with blazing glory of God. And the shepherds were terrified, but the angel reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news of the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, the rescuer has been born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by the miracle sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Then all at once, the vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heaven, they all singing and praising God. Glory to God in the highest, in the heaven realms. For there is peace and good hope given to the sons of men. And when the choir of angels disappeared back to heaven, the shepherds said to one, each other, to one another, let us go and hurry and find this word that is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So I'm watching this, you know, recreation of what we thought it was like. You know, this is not factual biblical stuff. I'm just, I'm, I'm using this as an analogy and, and a description of what it is. So these shepherds come running back into 
the village and they find Jesus lying in the manger. You know, we think of this manger and it's all this, you know, this, it's, it, you guys ever seen an old school feeding trough? It's got two legs that go this way on one side, two legs that go this way on side, and some boards in there, and it's nothing fancy. It's barely there. It's meant to hold hay so that animals can eat out of it. And they find him laying there, and they see him. And, they, and these guys are kneeling before him, and they're, and they're saying, this is the one we've expected. This is the one that the angels talked about. And they go out, and I want to read this to you. Upon seeing the miracle sign, the shepherds recounted what they had happened. Everyone who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished by what was told. After this, these, in this video, these shepherds, they run out, and they're running through town, and they're telling people, we have seen him, we have seen the Messiah, we have seen the Savior that we've expected for hundreds of thousands and thousands of years. He is here, he is here. And the priest comes out of his house and says, what are you doing back here? I told you not to come back until you, see, you have a spotless lamb. And he goes, have you have a, do you have a spotless lamb for me? And he goes, yes, I do. And it makes me think what we have come from, that we don't have to live by sacrificing anymore, that that baby who was born to be the spotless lamb for us has taken away the sins of the world taken on the sins of the world and destroyed the sins of the world by what he has done for us. And we look at the the shepherds. God chose the lowliest place to be born. And he chose, chose the low of the low to let them know that he was there. He didn't appear to kings and to rulers and to the, to the Jewish religious leaders of that day. He didn't come to the head Pharisee and say, hey, by the way, my son is born, the one who's going to take away your job. And he's here is where he's born. No, he came to the everyday person and said, behold, I bring you tidings of good news, of great joy that today my son the Son of God is born in a stable. And you will come and you will kneel on the ground, in the dirt, in some of the other stuff, and you will worship him. The shepherds are telling everybody they can find Look what uh, we've found. This is who Jesus is. We've seen him. We've seen his face. But what happens is, is this. They tell everybody, and what happened, it says in the scripture, it says, the shepherds returned to their flock ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified him, for they all had heard and seen for themselves, like the angel had just said. They had witnessed what they had heard as prophecy for hundreds of years. They had seen the long-expected Jesus who had come to take away their sins. If that doesn't change you, I don't know what will. If you cannot be changed by seeing the Christ child born and laying there and your life not be different, I don't know what it was. 
And then we talk about the wise men. We talk about, you know, w- you know we sing the, the We Three Kings of Orient are, you know, not my favorite song, but we, we talk about that. And it talks about these wise men and, and, and that they traveled from the east to see a long-expected king to come and worship, a, uh, a king that they had heard about. More than likely, scholars say that these men came from the Babylon area. Because Daniel, when he was taken from Israel, was brought to Babylon. And what did Daniel do? He was groomed and he was raised up to be the chief of the religious leaders and the, the um, council there. And they, they are pretty sure that these men came because they had heard the prophecy of Daniel that he had talked about and they were like, this king is coming and when they see the, they knew that the star was going to be there and when they see that star, they follow that star. We're talking a thousand mile trip. There's a thousand mile trip on a car is, is, is something to be talked about, but a thousand mile trip on a donkey or a camel. We're talking a year. They didn't just get up and go, oh, hey, there's the star. Let's get up and go, and we'll go. We'll be there in a couple days. No, we're talking a year trip to see what they had heard about. You know, we, we, somebody's like, hey, you got to go see that. Oh, okay, it's 10 minutes away. Oh, yeah, that's cool. We went and saw it. But they knew there was something about what was prophesied that they had to get up and give up a year of their life to go see but they knew what they were going to see. They knew what was going to be the end result of what they saw. They came, and what did they do? They worshipped him. We're talking rulers. We're talking um, higher-ups, prime ministers in countries that came to visit him. These were not just your average, you know, rich person in their country. These These guys had power and they had wealth, and they had influence. And they gave up that to come visit Jesus, to come see what they had long expected. And I look at the birth of Jesus, and we can, we can look at the story, and we can examine it, but if reading this story and, and understanding this story and seeing what God had done, if that doesn't change our heart. I don't know if the rest of it will. If this doesn't change our heart, I don't know if the rest of his story will. If we can't see the love of God in the nativity story, in the, the birth of Jesus, I don't know if we can see the love of God in the rest of the story. If you can look at Jesus' birth and go through and not see his love in his birth, the Father's love in his birth. I, I don't know if you can see the rest of it, his love in the rest of Jesus' life. A lot of people write Jesus off as just a really good man who did something that was good for people. No, he was God who came and sacrificed himself, became low and crawled on the dirt and walked on the dirt like we did so we could be with him. It's not by what we've done. It's by what he did. You know, we look at, at Jesus when he came to earth, and that wasn't his sacrifice. 
his death wasn't his sacrifice. It was a sacrifice. That wasn't his sacrifice. His sacrifice was getting off of the throne. Stepping away and saying, I'm going to remove myself from the glory of God. I'm going to take myself and pull myself away from my father. Think about this. He was experiencing, he was the son of God and he was next to the father, experiencing the glory of the father and the glory of God. But he said, I'm going to step down and I'm going to give myself. That was the first sacrifice. We think of his sacrifice as his, his, as his uh, death, but it wasn't. Can you imagine being in the glory of God 24-7 for eternity and saying, you know what, I'm going to step away from this. I'm going to remove myself from it so I can go and see what sin is like and feel what temptation is like and to feel what pain is like and agony is like. That was his first sacrifice. Was sitting next to the Father, he gets off, off, of his, off of his throne and says, I'll be back, but I'll see you later. And he comes and he spends 33 years away from his Father not that he's not communicating with him, but he's not in the full glory of, of God. And his story doesn't just begin at his birth. His story begins when he steps off the throne. And he says, I'm going to come down. But if that doesn't change us, I don't think his death and his burial and resurrection will have any more weight on us to, to change how we see God. Because when we look at his stepping away from the throne, he's the prince of peace and he steps down to become man. If that won't change how we view him, I don't know if anything else will. I really like to think of Jesus as a savior and that is amazing. But we have to think of him in more than just the, the, the death of Jesus, we have to think of him in the sacrifice of what he did for us. That built up to that. That was just the, the, the culmination of everything that God had planned for years. For 33 years, Jesus worked and he moved and he grew to become that sacrifice. But that was his final sacrifice. So when we look at the birth of Jesus, if what the angels say doesn't do something for us, doesn't move inside of us, I don't think anything else will. It says, glory to God in the highest realms of heaven. For there is peace and good hope given to the sons of men. We are the sons of men. And there is good hope. Jesus is that hope. And if we can't be moved by that to share that with someone else, I think people can accept a baby that might be, that has hope. When they don't believe in God. And the, he, there was a baby, and he, he created hope for thousands and thousands and millions and billions of people. From day one, there was something expectant about it. I can't, I can't imagine 
what Mary was thinking. You know, I'm having the, the Son of God, and then I have to raise him. That's got to be a daunting task. But she was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. In one scripture I passed over in Luke, it says this. It says, this is after the um, shepherds came. It says, but Mary treasured all of these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. All those events that happened, all those things that happened while this was going on, the shepherds and the wise men, she pondered them in their heart and often thought about them. I don't even think Mary understood the, the, the immense um, power that was happening and what was going on in those moments when people were coming in and visiting her son. I think she knew, but I think it says that she pondered them and thought about them often because I think she hadn't taken in the full experience of it. I don't think she understood the um, immense undertaking that God had done in her to create his son. And when she's sitting there, she's pondering those things. And that's actually the second time it talks about it because in um, when the angel of the Lord came to her and said, you are carrying the son of God, it says that she pondered those things in her heart. She was taking it in. You guys ever done that? You, you talk about something and you're like, I got to think about that a little bit more before I, before I really get my, my head around it. I don't think you could ever get your head around this, that a, a woman who was a virgin was impregnated with the seed of God, was carrying the Son of God, gave birth to the Savior of the earth. Her son was born walked to earth for 33 years, raised the dead, healed the sick, cast out demons, and then died on the cross for our sin, became pain for us, became death for us, became sin for us, and then went to hell, took the keys of death, brought them back to the Father, then because he was the sacrifice, laid upon the, brought his blood as a sacrifice to the Father and said, oh, by the way, here's the thing is when Jesus came back and his disciples saw him, he hadn't even been to the Father and said, hey, it's all done. I, I'm, I've sacrificed. Here is the final thing. He had to go back to the Father to, to tell him, hey, I'm, I'm finally done. Everything is gone back. I am now coming back to you. He hadn't even finished his work when the disciples were talking to him. Like, man, our hearts burned while we were talking to him. And he's like, how did, you not rec- how did we not recognize him when we were talking to him? How did we not recognize our Savior when we were talking to him? You ever done that? You're reading the Word of God, you're hearing the Word of God, and your heart burns. And you're like, how did I not know that? How did I not see that? How did I not recognize what God was doing? And we look at the disciples, and Jesus was so, I'm still on my way back to the Father. I just, got, I just came from hell. I just resurrected. Um, I just, you know, I'm going up to the Father to bring my final sacrifice to him. Because here's the thing is, you can't, you had to bring the sacrifice to the altar 
And Jesus is like, I'm bringing it back to the Father. That he will say, it is finished. I am done. Everything is done for us. But if the story of Jesus being born does not move us to the, by the compassion of the Father, that he said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, then Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection will not mean much to us. We have to look at the, the, the power and the love and the unfailing compassion that God has for us in the birth of Jesus to be able to understand what he did for us in the end. We always thank Jesus for his death, burial, and resurrection. But do we thank him for his birth, of what he did? Think about this. If it wasn't for that story, if we didn't talk about that story, and Jesus just lived his life, and we didn't know about this story, and we talked about a guy who died on the cross, what, what would we think? If we didn't talk about the, the power of God and the angels and the glory of God showing the, that to men and saying, this is the Son of God who is going to take away the sins of the world, who is the peace offering between us and God. If we didn't hear that story, it, the end wouldn't make a lot of sense. We would just hear, oh, this is the guy. His name was Jesus. Jesus was a common name. we would just think it's just another guy who died on the cross, who created a movement for a couple years and then faded out. But it's not. It's the power of God revealed to man when we, he didn't have to. He didn't have to tell us, this is my son. But he loved us enough to say, this is my son. He is going to take away your sins. He is my peace offering to you. And he is going to be the rescuer of the nations. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set your people free. From our fears and our sins release us. Let us find rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope for all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. If our hearts don't burn with hearing the story of Jesus' birth, I don't know why. I don't know what to do. If you don't start, something doesn't well up in you when you start to talk about the birth of Jesus, when you start to talk about what he was there for. We need to rearrange some things in our hearts. The joy of every longing heart, born to deliver his people, born a child yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now the gracious kingdom bring. He was born to reign in us. You know, when the disciples were thinking, he's going to reign over and he's going to destroy the Roman Empire and he's going to bring Israel back to what it is. No, he was meant to live here. He's both to be king here. He was king of the Jews. But he is king of our hearts. He is supposed to reign in us and not oversee everything. Everybody thought he's going to come and he's going to overthrow everything, but what he was doing, he was coming to overthrow sin in our lives. He was coming to overthrow selfishness in our lives. He was coming to overthrow everything that we had made king in our lives. Ritual, 
religion, he, he came to overthrow that in us. So that when we read about his birth and we read about his death, it does something in us. I don't want just emotion from it. I don't want you guys to read it and go, just so emotional. No, I want you guys to read it and go, this is my king. This is the, the savior of the world. And this is the one who, he does not lie. This is not just a story that sounds really nice at Christmas and makes us, you know, oh, baby Jesus in the manger. We don't want to just create emotion in you. I want to create something where the Holy Spirit is working in you. When you read this story, when you sing those songs, it's not about presence. It's not about the time with people. It's not about anything else. This is about Jesus. This is about him becoming number one in your life. This is about us crying out and saying, I need a savior. Because I need a savior and every one of us need a savior. It's not about that he was born and we get to talk about the the nice Christmas carols and stuff like that. It's about what he is going to do in his life and it's about what he did in his life and it's about what he can do in our lives. But he says, you have to make me king in your life. So when I read, this, read the, the, the words of this song, I can't imagine what it was like to be without him. Think about this. They hadn't heard God speak in like 500 years. No more prophets. He's like, you don't want me? That's fine. I'm getting rid of the prophets. I'm getting rid of anybody that will speak for me. And you can live how you want to live. You can do what you want to do. You can say what you want to say. You can make stupid rule upon stupid rule. And it's going to get you nowhere. But God's like, I've been quiet long enough. He's like, now I'm going to speak. And he says, I have a message for you. And he sends his angels to say, this is the time that you will listen You have a choice. You can listen or not listen, but this is the time that you can listen. And this is what I'm doing. But he is the king for us because he says nothing in this world is sufficient enough to to be king in your life except for me. Nothing in this world is is, uh, big enough, full enough, wide enough, tall enough, deep enough to make your heart full. No matter what we do, we chase money, we chase fame, we chase whatever it is, what we want, power, whatever it is, there's always something missing in us. And when it's missing in us, it will never be enough. And it's not by what we do, but when we, sacri- when we, when we give our lives to Christ, it's not about what we've done to be good enough. Our merit, our own works are nothing. Paul says they are filthy rags compared to what what God is. We can be amazing. Think about this. Jesus, the young ruler, comes up to him and says, I've lived like this and I've lived like this and I've done everything by the book. I've done everything. He goes, hey, but have you done this? No, I can't. So no matter how we live, no matter how good, no matter how bad, it's never 
enough on our own merit to say, this, I, I can have a relationship with Jesus because of this. I can get to heaven because of this. It's not about that. It's about the birth of a Savior in a lowly place. He became low for us to walk with us, to have pain like us, to suffer with us, so that we could be with him when we bow our knee to him like the, the, the shepherds did, and they come and they bow before him. When we bow before him as king and say, I need you as my king, this is when he says, oh, your, your works aren't good enough? Oh, now you, now you realize that what you've done is not good enough. You're like, yeah. What I do is never going to be good enough to have a relationship with Jesus. It's about saying, I need you in my life. I cannot do this on my own. I need a Savior. I need a King in my life that will guide me and direct me and lead me. When you have rulers from other nations coming and bowing before a baby, there's something powerful about that. So when we talk about a long-expected Jesus, we don't have to wait for that anymore. We have him. We're wi- we don't have to wait for him to come so we can have a relationship with God. It's about taking advantage of what we have now. And that is, Jesus is standing at the door and he knocks and he says, I'm not a baby anymore, I am king. I am the Lamb of God who is sacrificed and takes away the sins of the world. And all you have to do is let me in. I think sometimes we want to keep Jesus as the baby and keep him, oh, it's so cute and it's just so nice and we talk, we talk about the, the, the Christmas carols and stuff like that. No, we need to take Jesus and say, this was what the start of it was and it should bring hope to us, but now he stands at our heart's door and he says, I'm waiting for you to let me in. I'm waiting for you to surrender your will so I can come in and tell you my will for your life. So I can tell you what I have planned for you, what I have planned for your family, your kids, your future. But we have to just, when we hear this on our heart's door, we have to say, who is it? And he's like, it's me. You know me. I've been talking to you my whole life. Your whole life you know who Jesus was because he's always been talking to you even before you let him in. He's like, you remember me? That time I was there, this. When you were going through this, I was there. Do you remember that time when you were going through this and when you had this in your life? He goes, I've been always there and I've been waiting at your door, knocking. All we have to do is let him in. When we bow before him and give our life to him, and say, I can't do this on my own. I am not able to do this on my own. None of us are able to fully walk through life without using or without relying upon him. We can walk through life, but you know what? It's not going to go very far. 
when we think about who we were before Jesus came in, it's like, how did I even survive? How did I not end up dead, in jail, maimed, missing limbs? But Jesus says, you know what? When I come into your life, I will lead you and I will guide you in truth. And I think we need more truth today than we need anything else. We don't need science. We don't need facts. We need truth. We don't need opinion. We don't need my truth. We need the truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So that means we have to go through the door that Jesus opens for us. We go through the narrow path, not the wide path. When Jesus says, hey, I'm knocking at your door, let me in. He's like, okay, once we let him into our lives, once we accept him as Savior and say, I can't do this on my own, he says, let me take you through the door I'm going to lead you through. And that door goes through this long, narrow path. And it winds, and it goes up hills, and it goes down hills. And sometimes the up hills feel a lot, lot, lot longer than the downhills. But he says, I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you in your life. But it's about allowing him to lead you and guide you. Let's pray.